In this episode of the Voice of Procurement podcast, we speak with Kelly Allen, Procurement Lead at Glanbia. Kelly outlines her source-to-pay process for professional services. We will see that Kelly turns this process into a project, and this starts with the project charter. While the project charter is a document, it's also a significant input into any project and means that stakeholders have the authorization to spend organizational resources. The second document that Kelly refers to is the RFP or Request for Proposal, also a document but equally a formal method of matching the needs of the organization with the capabilities of the supply market. Is Kelly Allen and I work in the world of procurement. I wear two hats, so one being uh, my category manager hat, where I manage uh, the professional services spend, and then the other being more on the process and compliance side within procurement, looking at things like procurement policy, our processes, our systems. So, yeah, safe to say I get a, a full rounded view of procurement in my role. So, if the first uh, interaction for me with a stakeholder is typically what I explain there is they're coming to me with a need. Um, and what I've developed over time, which has really helped me and them to be fair, is actually a, a one pager where I explain, okay, look, these are the things that we need to do. Um, and it's very much, you, you could kind of almost call it like a project charter. So we'll say, look, we need to develop the RFP. Um, do we need to do an RFI? And we'll discuss that. Um, we will then talk about, okay, how do we develop that document? Who needs to provide input? We'll talk about the fact that we'll need some sort of scoring mechanism for fairness in the process. Um, we will then talk about, okay, what are our timelines? When do we need to actually have a decision? Um, then we'll talk about things like, okay, dates for presentations. Let's line them up at the start. So again, some projects, depending on the nature might need, you know, two rounds. We might need, you know, two sets of presentations to really knuckle down on the decision. So we agree all of that up front with the stakeholders so that they're very much so aware of what we can do in the process to support them on that journey, but also what our expectations of them are versus what we need from them equally. So that's, I suppose, the beginning of the process is to set those uh, um, processes in place with the stakeholder. So it's 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 very much procurement as a service. So when you're talking about professional services, it's essentially a project because someone's coming, they've identified a need, they haven't bought it before, you haven't bought it before. So the best way of managing it is in the framework of a charter, as you call it. So what are the deliverables? Yeah. What are the the kind of milestones? The dates? What are the the important things? So the stakeholder is essentially the one who has to articulate that basic information for you to help them. Exactly. And actually, you almost become the consultant that you're buying, essentially, uh, yeah. at the end of the process, which is really interesting as well. But it's definitely it definitely does correspond very well to the idea that we add more value than maybe just the pricing negotiation at the end. And I think it's a very practical way to demonstrate. And it's also a great way to actually uh, future-proof engagement with stakeholders because when they see wow, there's actually a lot of work in this and procurement are going to do a lot of it in terms of managing and guiding us through the process. And that's a comment I get quite a lot is, thanks for guiding us through that process. Um, So it's a great way to actually demonstrate to stakeholders maybe that you've previously found difficult to engage with or 
even to get buy in to, to, to kind of let them into or let you into to looking at you know, ways to to help them in terms of managing their spend. So it's actually a great way to practically demonstrate all of the additional work that you can do to support them. So, yeah, so we would have that kind of initial consultation process. And then it's really down to actually defining uh, the RFP document. And again, in true <laughs> Kelly fashion, in terms of structure and process, um, I would typically have, you know, a professional services um, specific document template that I'd use. And this really just sets some structure to the whole uh, RFP document in itself. Because again, if we're buying things that we haven't purchased before, um, starting with a blank page is, is really difficult. Um, so a lot of stakeholders will always say, "So what? What do we normally do? What do we? What do we? What would we normally ask of these suppliers?" So um, I would always go with something. So again, what are the minimum questions that we'd ask, regardless of what we're buying? Um, and that's a great way because it's easier to add to something than to kind of build it from scratch. So that kind of helps the stakeholders. So what I would typically do is have that briefing with them, get an idea of what they're looking for and make modifications to that document based on that conversation. Then I would then say, okay, over to you now, what specific questions would you like to ask um, in this RFP? And it might be an, a kind of an iterative process where we exchange the document maybe a couple of times just so we can get it right. And actually when they've kind of added their piece around the types of questions, that really helps me then decide, okay, what kind of commercial questions in terms of pricing do I need to probe now? So, um, Again, if you haven't bought something before, and this is true nature of professional services, particularly the the kind of stuff that we're talking about here, um, it's very hard to ask for a breakdown of pricing for something where you don't know actually what that breakdown is. So we're typically going to suppliers to say, look, we want to do this. Uh, this is our end goal. We're not sure actually how you, know, you are going to propose how to do it, but we still need to put some structure on that from a pricing perspective. And really here's why is because it can just be so varied. Um, you could have a mixture of different approaches. So we need to be able to compare it at the end of the day into some sort of uh, format. Um, so again, the, the initial consultation and the stakeholders input to that document allows me then to say, okay, this is what we're looking for. This is the end goal. Okay. I'm going to, going to ask some specific questions now about pricing. And again, I'll work with the stakeholders as well to assess, you know, what would you expect in this space? Would you expect, you know, a, a deliverable based payment structure or is it going to be purely hourly based? Like, you know, what do we need or what do we want? Um, so that's that piece around actually getting the right information out to the supplier. And I can't stress enough, and this sounds so simple, but sometimes it's often the simple things that we overlook is actually that clarity to the supplier. And it's and again, it's another piece of feedback that we always get. Um, when we're not sure, particularly maybe the, the specific elements of work that the supplier is going to do, um, you know, and sometimes that makes the RFP document very difficult to actually issue because we're not quite sure. And, and maybe that warrants an RFI sometimes. Um, but when we're not specifically sure, the, the, the key questions then we can ask in that document is, okay, how are you proposing? So what, whatever you're proposing to do, how are you proposing to do it? Which actually get, gives us an understanding of their approach and their way of working, which is key. Um, so, so yeah, so we, so we finally get to the stage where we've got a good document. It's clear. It's giving all the information that we need. 
Um, it's, we're, we're proposing guidelines to the suppliers to how we'd like that information coming back again to make our life easier and our stakeholders' lives easier from a review perspective. Um, and we give all those timelines as well up front in terms of when we expect the project to be completed, when we expect to award a supplier, you know, please block out some certain timelines for potential presentations. Again, just to, to give that upfront so that our process runs smoothly. And um, we'll issue the, the RFP then electronically. And again, you know, a lot of companies are doing this electronically nowadays. It's nothing new. But the real benefit actually, particularly within the professional services space, is the fact that you have a platform for questions and answers. And you will get a lot of questions and answers. And the, you know, the more vague your document is, the more questions you're going to get because people often will underestimate that kind of period within the RFP phase for questions. And we definitely shouldn't because sometimes a question can actually really change. Um, and maybe our answer to a question can really change the proposal in itself. Um, so it's really important that we give that time and actually using the electronic platform to, to host the RFP is great because every question is posted up. The answer is going to the same, all of the same participants. So everyone's getting equal information, which is key. And you'll find that particularly, you know, even in public sector procurement, all of that, that fairness and transparency is really important. So we actually try and take a lot of that into the private uh, sector process as well because it's all relevant and it's all important. Um, so yeah, so we have our Q and A phase responses back in, um, and typically then we've got a period internally then where we're reviewing those responses. And again, depending on the number of suppliers that we have in the RFP process, we may go through a, a shortlist phase. Um, so again, we might say, look, based on the original responses that, or the initial responses that we've got back, we now need to shortlist based on capability and our original kind of scoring themes. Um, and then anyone that's been brought forward then to presentation obviously will be notified. And that the presentation actually is a really important phase in the process as well. And it's again, it's not it's it's not unique to professional services. Lots of RPs we have a presentation phase, but for me particularly. Given that you know something could be new, there's a lot of assumptions that can be made that can really dictate price and quality of service or what offering or what team the supplier proposes to, to manage the project. So it's really important to use the presentation phase to clarify any assumptions um, that are made on both sides. So um, you know, what are you assuming? You know, who, what are you assuming about the work? As in, is there going to be equal partnership on on certain key elements of activities, or are you going to do most of the work, or do you expect this organization or our organization to provide you with the benchmarking data? So, clarify all of the assumptions, and the presentation phase is actually a great time to do that um, before making your final decision. And just a question, Kelly, is that if you're buying professional services and you're going to the trouble of constructing this this RFP document, I presume there's a small number of big suppliers, or is that is that not the case? Is there does it is there a lot of suppliers receiving this, or just a small few? It's a great question, actually, because I would say historically we probably had you know, and in the, in this space you probably had your three or four suppliers that you would kind of. On, like occasionally go to for this type of work. But now you see an emergence in the market of a lot of boutique companies that specialize in, in different areas. You know, there could be a company that specializes in diversity and inclusion advice and, and things like that. So the market is definitely growing and it's not certainly restricted anymore to two or three big organizations. You've got a lot of boutique organizations and depending on your project and suitability, you will see a lot more um, actually 
you know, um, invited to RFPs than maybe you would historically. And the system, um, another question here, I guess, is so you construct the, the RFP and it's put into a document and then you distribute that electronically. Is, is it OK to ask how you do that or what system you use to do that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we use uh, the Ariba platform. Um, and basically um, what I do with with uh, the professional services, again, because when you're doing an RFP in that space, um, often or not, you'll have multiple people on a team working on the response. Um, so it's not somebody going in, maybe say for a direct material RFP where you're going in and putting in a price against a line item. Um, a lot of the, the RFPs are actually reviewed by a large number of people within a team. So yeah, we within that space, we typically upload a document that can be downloadable uh, by the organization's team so they can work on it offline and then re-upload their responses in the format that we give them. So yeah, we would use Ariba to do that and we find it really useful and as I said particularly on the question piece around even sending communications about the project you're not sending emails to individual people um you know if there's a change in dates or if there's any update to information it's all done um once and then it's it's distributed to the all the participants um within the RFP. And the RFP itself um will that include um scoring criteria that you're going to yes. use to actually award the contract or to select the supplier? No, that's a, another good question. Definitely, we would include the key themes um, for uh, based on our scorecard. So we will include the information to help our suppliers understand what's important. So what's what's really important for us and and where the scores will be attributed to. Um, so yeah, we would include that, and that's all done up front in um, with the stakeholders before we issue the RFP document. So we'll sign off on the scorecard alongside, and the RFP document and the scorecard sometimes are just done. Um, at the start almost in parallel but then they're joined up to say okay what's important what are we asking are we asking questions that's going to help us score and vice versa so um, yeah so the scoring criteria definitely shared with all of our suppliers So the the RFP will contain the criteria the same criteria that the the supplier is going to be evaluated against in terms of their own performance so that gives them very clear signals as to what you're going to expect from them if they win the contract Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And so the next question, what's important when it comes to negotiating the contract um, with professional services? So you've gone to, you started off with the, the project charter. Um, mm-hmm. You're sitting down with your stakeholders. They they fill that in as best they can. Um, that's turned that into an RFP that goes out to the market. You're trying to find the best source of supply you do an evaluation, you may do presentations, and now you're ready to award the business. So talk to us a bit about the contract stage of that. Yeah, and and I suppose with the contract piece and, and linking back to your RFP document, and you made a good call out around including the scoring, it's also important that even before a contract gets to negotiation stage, that you've included maybe some key terms that are going to be vital for your project at, uh, within the RFP document. And that gives the suppliers an opportunity to come back at RFP stage and rather than contract award stage to maybe challenge any of the terms or any um, concerns that they have with meeting those terms. So we would try where we can to include as much within the RFP document to say, look, these are Glambia's standard terms and specific to this project, we expect the following. Um, and that just opens up the dialogue at that phase of the process and also makes it easier when it comes to contract. Uh, the contract phase. So we try to be as transparent as we can up front before we get to the actual contract, which can take up a lot of time if you don't. Um, So key things for me in terms of uh, 
contract negotiation. And again, not to, 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 to talk too much about maybe more some of the more obvious things, but definitely when it comes to professional services. And one thing that I've learned is that it's one thing to, you know, lock down on the agreed rate or lock down on, on the price that was pr- presented in the RFP, but it's to actually future proof it as well. Um, so Again, you know, we'll try our best at RFP stage and in conjunction with the supplier to estimate the body of work that's going to be done. But if you're doing something, particularly actually with a new supplier that you haven't worked with before and they're not familiar with your own internal way of working, you know, some companies could be very hands on and could, you know, uh, require the supplier to do lots of iterations of strategy documents and things like that. So that's all really important to bear in mind that if you're actually selecting a supplier you've never worked with before and they're not familiar with with you know your own internal processes that we need to make sure that whatever they've estimated in terms of work because a lot of this obviously is driven by hours right so it's it's driven by the time that these people are putting in uh, to do the to the do the job that you require them to do so it's important that you have some sort of protection there that if actually that uh, those estimated hours go beyond uh, what we thought. And again, you know, the supplier can't be penalized for that either. So if, you know, the organization decides, actually, we want to do 50 workshops rather than 10 that we originally anticipated, we just need to ensure in the contract that we've got a mechanism to manage that. So what we would typically look out for are things like if, you know, the budget is expected to go over the anticipated hours or the anticipated fee, this is our process. So, you know, don't basically send us an invoice without discussing with it first. So we want to have upfront discussions and we want to say, look, actually the organization, you know, you're going over the expected budget and these are the reasons why. Um, and at that point you can say, look, we need to sign off on any overspend or potential or, or you know, anticipated overspend. And we want to look at the rate. Um, and the rate piece is important as well, because a lot of the time the rate is based on, that anticipated volume of spend. But actually, if that volume of spend doubles now because of all the work that we're putting in, um, you know, that we're expecting the supplier to do now and change of scope, we'd want to potentially look at a more preferential rate. Um, so these are all the things to look out for, not just to lock down based on current, uh, the current situation or the current project, because typically one service may lead to another service with a supplier. Um, and that's the nature of the category. So it's always important, particularly at contract stage, to lock down those things up front. Um, particularly when it comes to actually, you know, things like the invoicing stage and all of that. And, and you know, a lot of category managers will be saying, oh, no, I don't want to even, <laughs> I don't even talk, talk about it. Um, and it's probably more in the process side, but it actually is very much so relevant to those conversations as well, because they're the things that will really, um, frustrate your stakeholders. So transparency in invoicing and reporting on hours and work done and how do we approve what's actually been done? Because again, a lot of it is subjective. Is it deliverable based? Is it, you know, hourly based? What actually we, are we are we paying for? Are we paying for it when the project is done? Are we paying for it as the hours are incurred? So again, the contract for me should be treated as much as kind of a, a governance document on ways of working as much as we look, we'll pull it out of the drawer when if something was to ever go wrong. So it's actually a great way to kind of iron a lot of the ambiguity out um, in the process. So for me, that definitely is is as vital things amongst the other standard things like your your typical T's and C's and your GDPR and all that kind of good stuff. Um, it's very important to kind of kind of clarify any ambiguity there when, when it comes to fees and kind of overspend or budget 
or scope creep and things like that, definitely important to get that into the contract. Just just one one or two quick fire uh, questions, Kelly. So is it possible to be to generalize as to how many suppliers would turn up to do a presentation or how many of these guys you would ask to come in and present in front of the team? Yeah, so typically uh, on average, we'd probably have four. Um, yeah, into a final round of presentations. Again, it's a lot of the time we try to do, um, presentations within, we don't like to spread them out too much. We, we try and get all the presentations done in a day or two days if we can. So it's fresh in everyone's mind. Um, and we, we try to then do the scoring maybe at the end of the sessions individually and then come together as a team to discuss our individual scores and, you know, why one person might be leaning towards a supplier and versus another. So, um, yeah, we typically forward be an ideal number, but again, it just really depends on how many have the capability to do it. Sometimes you'll know straight away from an RFP response, look, we probably weren't clear enough on our requirements and actually this supplier can't meet that. And sometimes it's, it's on us as well. We probably weren't as clear. Okay. Um, yeah. So four is is a, is a good number. Yeah. And if if the fourth, let's just say the fourth supplier wins the contract, does 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 it ever happen that the other three come back looking for feedback, or do they just accept the decision? There's always probably a period of of clarifications towards the end of a, an RFP process where you might have two suppliers that you're leaning towards, but actually you view outstanding questions and those the answers to those questions are probably going to steer your final decision. So we would always try and if there's anything that's that's vague or that is swaying our decision, we'd always just like to clarify it first because we don't want to make a decision based on an assumption. So that's typically what we would do. Um, and that kind of cuts out any, you know, coming back. But when it comes to feedback, that's just standard. We'd, we'd always give feedback um, because at the end of the day, those suppliers have invest, invested a significant amount of time in your process. So, and that's where the scoring and to be fair, like scoring is something we can talk about but it's actually something we we place a lot of time into because scoring is the only way that you can actually give the valid feedback because you've got the collective view from everyone you've got the key points as to why um they're lacking and also you want to like a lot of these companies you will want to invite to future uh, rfps and if you're not giving them feedback they're not going to be able to hit the right points the next time so it's an investment by giving mm. the feedback so it's definitely something we, we we wouldn't close off in an rfp without doing it um, definitely. Be, and typically, once the contract is awarded, is it the the stakeholder that manages the contract in terms of the performance, or do procurement get involved in that as well? With the QBRs. No, and stuff like that? It's it's typically a mix of both. Like a lot of these contracts are, you know, for projects, say, so they've got a, a certain lifespan, and some of them turn into more longer term relationships, but. I suppose the one that the one the types of contracts that we're talking about now might have a, a specific lifespan for the duration of the project. Um, and to be fair, if you set it up correctly with the with with those clear kind of ways of working and guidelines around managing the budget, you know that's less interaction than is required. It's actually more so on if you don't set it up right from the start. So, and this sounds so simplistic, and I'm sure everyone thinks, of course, we do that. But like, if you set a budget and you've got you've signed up to that contract and you've done your budget, you need some mechanism to track that. And it's very difficult actually with services because you can't just go in and run a report and say, yeah, we bought five and we got five. Um, so that's where kind of set, ensuring that in your procurement system, you've actually a budget assigned to the PO. And obviously if it goes outside the budget, 
somebody has to come back to procurement or the stakeholder to say, look, we, we can't physically submit any more invoices and then we can discuss it. Um, so I think if you if you put time into the contract setup, getting your PO set up correctly, um, you won't have to have as much interaction and it'll be self-managing. Um, but typically, yeah, like the day-to-day interaction, the project kicks off, it's over to the, the stakeholder then. But because you've been on the journey with them for, for such a long period of time to get to that point, um, you know, you have the relationship that if there's any concerns arising um, that they'd come to you then. And that's the experience I've had to date. Excellent. So just one last question. Do you, uh, having gone through a couple of these, which are essentially projects, right? They, they have a start, mm-hmm. middle and an end. But do you do a lessons learned yourself at the end of it to try and optimize the process or if anything can kind of be improved? Is that something that people do? But yeah, definitely on the professional services side, um, there's been a huge learning in clarity and what we send out to suppliers versus what we get back in. So big lessons around the types of information that we share, uh, the types of um, documents uh, that we share in addition to the actual questions. So a lot of the time, uh, David, we were going out and and saying things like, this is what we need you to do. Um, But we weren't actually asking uh, suppliers how they were going to do it. Um, so of course everyone's going to come back a lot of the time and say yes we can do it all um, and that made it really difficult to evaluate so that's just one example of, of things that we picked up on uh, but definitely a lot of um, the feedback and the lessons learned has been around um, how we actually uh, issue an RFP to a supplier and what we what we issue and also as well when we have a feedback session often or not it's not just an email we'll have a, a call and we'll always explain to the supplier the unsuccessful supplier that this is a two-way stream um, and to be fair I think over the last last year or so we've got great feedback actually and, and a common piece of feedback that we get is the actual process and the clarity around the process so yeah feedback is always not just internal but also from our suppliers 